Welcome to Saving Grace, a podcast ministry of Grace Center for Spiritual Development and Grace School of Theology. Many of our podcasts are accompanied by downloadable study guides and additional resources. You can access those either through our website at gsot.edu forward slash center or through the Grace app for your smartphone. And now, Saving Grace. Hello and welcome. I'm Carmen Pate, your host for this podcast. Though we don't know everything about the end of days, Christ has told us much about what we need to know. In our last podcast, we discussed the signs of the time, the rapture of the church, the glorious home the Lord is preparing for us, but we also discussed seven years of tribulation, which hopefully stirred all of our hearts to be diligent in sharing the gospel with those who don't know our Savior. Today, we want to focus on the second coming of Christ, the thousand-year reign of Christ on earth, and the eternal state. I'm so excited to get started, and here to help us is Dr. Ron Rhodes, president of Reasoning from the Scripture Ministries. Dr. Rhodes earned both his master's and doctorate degrees in systematic theology from Dallas Theological Seminary, where he periodically teaches. He is heard regularly on radio programs nationwide. The author of over 60 books, Dr. Rhodes is a sought-out speaker on cult apologetics and end times prophecy. He has a new book out titled Jesus and the End Times, the focus of our discussion today. Welcome back to Saving Grace. Thank you so much. It's always a pleasure, especially to talk about such an important topic. Oh, I agree. I agree. I have really looked forward to this. You know, we're just skimming the surface of your excellent book. Uh, I really do encourage our listeners to get a copy of Jesus and the End Times from your favorite online bookstore. But today we want to pick up where we left off last time, talking about the second coming of Jesus. Would you briefly recap from the scripture uh, again why that is a different event from the rapture in case we have listeners who, who've missed our first podcast? Well, absolutely. And, and it's an important topic because if you, if you confuse the rapture and the second coming, a lot of Bible prophecies get very mixed up. And I think if you take a literal approach to understanding the rapture, it all makes sense. And as I mentioned to you in our previous broadcast or podcast, uh, the policy I always follow is this. When the plain sense makes good sense, seek no other sense, lest you end up in nonsense. And so the plain sense of Scripture indicates that at the rapture, Christians will meet the Lord up in the air, and then they go straight back to heaven. We see that in 1 Thessalonians 4.17 and John 14.1-3. It's different with the second coming because at the second coming, Christ will descend all the way down to the earth and his feet will stand upon the Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem. And we see that in Zechariah 14, verse 4. As well, the rapture involves Christ coming for his people in the air before the tribulation begins, 1 Thessalonians 4. Whereas at the second coming, he will bring his people with him back to the earth from heaven in order to reign for a thousand years. Now, there's a simple fact we need to keep in mind, Carmen, and that is, is that when Christ comes with his people at the second coming, that presumes he has already come for them 
at the rapture. Furthermore, at the rapture, Christ himself will gather believers out of the world. And we see that in 1 Corinthians 15, 52, as well as 1 Thessalonians 4. But at the second coming, Christ gathers his people through angels. He Mm -hmm. sends angels out to gather believers. Further, at the rapture, believers are taken from the earth, while unbelievers are left behind to go through the seven-year tribulation period. It's different with the second coming, because at the second coming, those who become believers in the Lord during the tribulation are left on the earth to enter into Christ's millennial kingdom, while unbelievers are taken away into punishment. Mm -hmm. And then finally, Carmen, there are no signs prophetically that must be fulfilled before the rapture happens. But by contrast, the second coming is preceded by seven years worth of signs. And you can read all about those signs in Revelation chapters 4 through 18, with uh, the second coming occurring in chapter 19 of Revelation. Yes. And so, again, when you read all of those verses with a plain sense, I don't think we should seek any other sense, because if we do, we'll end up in some form of nonsense. Yes, I I agree. Yes, it's very clear and very important for us to grasp that difference. And I appreciate you uh, sharing that again with our with our listeners. Uh, Well, Christ said that when the Son of Man comes, it will be like it was in the days of Noah. Uh, One of one of the signs that can be looked for during that seven year tribulation. Remind us what it was like in Noah's day and what might be observed uh, that parallels with that time? Well, that is such a great question because Jesus always liked to speak in the language of the people. He liked to use word pictures to help people to understand things that they couldn't understand otherwise. He also talked about persons that almost everyone would have heard of. And the people that Jesus would have spoken to would have been well familiar with the Old Testament, including the book of Genesis. And so when he's talking about Noah, he was talking their language. He was talking about somebody that they were well familiar with. And I think that we can see a number of parallels between the days of Noah and the days that will precede the second coming of Christ. For example, back in Noah's day, there was a lot of carousing around in sin, and people were just really partying it up. And they didn't, they didn't pay any attention to the preachers of God's word, And I think likewise, in the days prior to the second coming, during the tribulation period, there will be people carousing around and partying it up, and they will be ignoring the preachers of God's word. At least in many cases, they will be ignoring it. At the same time, there will, of course, be many conversions uh, conversions to Christ based upon the preaching of the 144,000 Jewish witnesses. But as far as the unbelievers living at that time, there's going to be just a whole lot of rejection of God. Just as there was great evil back in Noah's day, so there will be great evil in the end times. Just as judgment fell suddenly in Noah's day with the flood coming just out of nowhere, so judgment will fall suddenly in the end times. People will not be expecting it. And just as the people were unprepared for the flood in Noah's day, so people will be unprepared for the judgment that falls in the end times. Just as Noah and his family were rescued in an ark before the flood fell, so I believe the church will be rescued by the rapture Mm. prior to the beginning of the tribulation period. And just as those left behind by the ark in Noah's day suffered judgment, 
so those left behind after the rapture will suffer the tribulation period. Now, when Jesus talked about the days of Noah, he yeah. packed an awful lot of meaning into it. We learn a lot from that story. Mm-hmm. We certainly do. Now, in the Olivet Discord, uh, found, of course, found in Book of Matthew, Christ is referencing people who are going to be living through the tribulation and how they need to prepare for his second coming. Talk to us about some of the things that we can gather from the Olivet Discourse that he wants people to know who will be living in that time. Well, I think that he really stresses being ready. You know, uh, Jesus told a number of parables that emphasize the necessity of being ready for when it happens and not participating in drunkenness and evil like so many other people will will, uh, get engaged in. And one of the reasons why I think Jesus gives specific signs that will unfold during the tribulation period is that he doesn't want it to be a surprise to people who become believers during that time. Mm -hmm. That there will be many believers during the tribulation period. In some cases, it will be from the 144,000 Jewish witnesses who preach all over the world. In other cases, the two uh, great prophets of Revelation 11 will speak the truth and people will believe from that. In other cases, it might be that um, a lot of people remember what their uh, Christian loved ones had to say about the approaching rapture. And then when the rapture happens, they're going to remember it and all of a sudden trust in the Lord. Hmm. So there's going to be many, many believers. But, you know, for those people who do become believers during the tribulation, Jesus didn't want them to become surprised at all the bad stuff that's going to happen, like wars and rumors of wars and famines and the rise of the Antichrist and false prophets um, and cosmic phenomena like stars falling from heaven and all that sort of stuff. Jesus didn't want them to be taken off guard because if they were taken off guard, they might succumb to severe depression and get drunk, you know, like Jesus warns about. In, in the Olivet Discourse. And so I think that he's preparing people ahead of time for what they may experience if they live during the tribulation period. And the thing that he stresses over and over again is to be prepared yes. and to be ready. Don't let this take you off guard. Mm-hmm. Be mentally prepared for what you're going to suffer because that mental preparation will put spiritual wind in your sails knowing that even if you do die as a martyr, you will have eternal life with Christ afterwards. Mm. See, and so I, I really think that that's one of the reasons why he gave all of the signs for the people who live during that yes. time frame. Be ready for what's coming. It's really a testament of his grace, isn't it? He loves people so much. And it's really a testament of, of uh, it's like, like he wants them to be prepared. He wants them to know. And, and it's because of his love, I believe. Uh, and so that they truly can... Uh, uh, not have the fear and the depression that would, goodness, surely come just in our flesh. Well, I think that's exactly right, and I think that that's what he's communicated, you know, not just directly in the Olivet Discourse, but I think that Jesus has communicated that in all the prophecies for which he is responsible. And, and here's what I mean by that, Carmen. Um, Jesus didn't just communicate directly in the Olivet Discourse. First Peter one eleven says that it was the Spirit of Christ that spoke through all the Old Testament prophets. And then when you read the book of Revelation, we are told that this is a revelation from Jesus Christ. Yes. So all the prophecies in the book of Revelation are from Jesus Christ. And furthermore, 
the Apostle Paul set forth many prophecies about the rapture and the Antichrist and so forth. But Jesus said that Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message mm. to the Gentiles and to kings and to Israel. So everything Paul said about prophecy was the message of Christ. The point that I'm making is that all the prophecies that you find, both in the Old and the New Testaments, ultimately find their source in Jesus. Mm -hmm. And Jesus is constantly about the, the business of encouraging his people, as well as encouraging people who become believers during the tribulation period. Now talk about grace. I mean, yes. it just can't get better than that. I mean, it, the darkest period in human history will have the grace of God shining like a big bright light. Ah, I love it. Well, you know, following the second coming, Christ will be sitting on a judgment throne to determine who will enter the millennial kingdom, his thousand-year reign on earth. Help us, first of all, to understand the purpose of the millennial kingdom. Well, the millennial kingdom is rooted in the uh, the covenants that Christ made with his ancient people, Israel. And there's two mighty covenants. One is the Davidic covenant and one is the Abrahamic covenant. And in the Davidic covenant, we read that a descendant of David will reign on the throne of David. And then in the Abrahamic covenant, we are uh, told all about land promises made to the Jewish people. And those land promises are very, very specific. Now, Carmen, I know that you will agree with me that God is a promise keeper. Uh, yes, he, he yes. Does, he does not go back on his word. And so, inasmuch as those covenant promises have not yet been fully fulfilled, they are yet to be fulfilled in the millennial kingdom. Now, we read in uh, prophecy that at the very end of the tribulation period, the Jewish remnant will turn to Jesus Christ and recognize him as the divine Messiah. And Christ will invite those Jewish people into his millennial kingdom. And after that happens, Christ will take up his rule on the throne of David, literally fulfilling the Davidic covenant. And then Christ will also give the specific land promised in the Abrahamic covenant to the Jewish people. And it gets better. It's not that just the Jewish people that get blessed, but all the Gentiles who have become believers during the millennial kingdom or, or during the tribulation period, uh, yes. I think that uh, it, it's real important to, that we not get confused by Christianese here. Don't you yes, think, yes, yes. All the people who become believers during that seven-year tribulation period who are Gentiles will be invited into the millennium as well. Yes, yes. But here's the thing. They're not yet resurrected. Mm. They're invited into Christ's kingdom in their mortal bodies, and so they're still going to grow old and die, and they're going to have babies, and their babies are going to get grow up, and they're going to get married and have more babies and so forth. But the thing is, is that Christ will have a perfect government on the earth mm -hmm. for a thousand years. And it doesn't get better than being governed by Christ, because it will be perfect in every way. There will be physical blessing and spiritual blessing and every other kind of blessing. And so, um, you know, the thing that I want to emphasize to people is that the Christ and God are promise keepers. They don't go back on what they've said. And that's good news for you and me, because just as Christ is fulfilling the promises made to ancient Israel, so Christ will also fulfill all the promises that are made to the church in the New Testament. No doubt about it. Including deliverance from the wrath to come at the rapture. 
And and in addition to that, we've been delivered from the wrath to come, or will be. We're going to return with Christ at the second coming. We will be part of that millennial kingdom as well. What will it be like for believers? Because we will be in our glorified bodies on earth. Well, that's right. And I believe that uh, you and I have the awesome privilege of participating in the reign of Christ. Yes. And, uh, you know, a, a lot of people believe that during this 1,000-year period, the New Jerusalem will actually be above planet Earth, uh, circling the Earth, kind of like a gigantic satellite, and that's where the Church will be at that time. The reason we say that, because in the eternal state, when God makes a new Earth, it's only then and not before that the New Jerusalem comes down yes. and rests upon the new earth. So up until that time, the, the New Jerusalem is not yet on the earth. But there are many who believe, such as J. Dwight Pentecost, a former professor at Dallas Theological Seminary, who believes that the church will participate in the reign of Christ from the New Jerusalem, which will kind of circle as a satellite during the Millennial Kingdom. Mm. Uh, now, the other possibility is that the New Jerusalem will still be in heaven and that the church will participate in the reign of Christ from heaven. But either way, we will be involved in participating in the reign of Christ. Now, there is something to keep in mind there, Carmen. You see, Jesus taught in a number of his parables that those people who are most faithful in this present life on earth are those to whom will be given the most responsibility in that heavenly government during the millennial kingdom. And those of us who are least committed, those Christians who choose to live carnally, for example, they will have the least responsibility. Mm. And so what you do now has a profound effect on them. No doubt about it. What you live now affects them. And so, you know, that has a direct application to how we live today, doesn't it? Well, it truly does. And, you know, we often talk about the importance of being good stewards, and it's really about preparing for eternity. Our lifespan here on earth is 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 short, but eternity is eternity. Uh, and, and certainly being a good steward now uh, for the Lord, for his purposes, for his glory, uh, gives him reason because he is a God of grace and blessing uh, to to give more to those who are faithful now. Well, that's right, and I'm glad that you put it that way. You know, um, it's been compared to a dot and a line. Our, our life on Earth is like a dot. Yes. It's real short. But life in eternity is long. It's like a line. And we should live for the line. Ah, uh, yes, <laughs> yes, right? yes. I mean, we should live for that eternal life and for the, uh, the life that we're going to live throughout all eternity in heaven. And the thing of it is, it's like Paul said in uh, Colossians 3, verses 1 and 2, Keep your eyes set on heavenly things. Yes. I love that verse because, mm. first of all, it's an imperative in the Greek. It's a command. It's not an option for the Christian. We are to keep our eyes focused on the things of heaven. And secondly, it's a, it's a present tense in the Greek. And that means keep on keeping on keeping yes. your eyes on the things of heaven 24-7. Yes, yes, yes. And if yes. you do that, you will truly live for the line and not for the dot. Oh, absolutely. And I think this is a, a good place to talk about the judgments, because as believers, uh, 
we will be judged for our works, not for our salvation purposes, but for our rewards or loss of rewards or that assignment that Christ might give us in eternity. Uh, talk about when that happens. And then, then there are two other judgments that we should mention, and that is the judgment of the nations and then the great white throne judgment. Again, all reasons that we need to stay close to the Lord, uh, to believe in Christ, first of all, uh, but to grow in knowledge of him so that we can share this news with others. Well, I'm glad that you made a distinction between the judgments because, you see, the judgment that we will go through as Christians has nothing to do with whether or not we will become saved or whether we remain saved. Right. Our salvation is based on grace, and Jesus did it all at the cross. There's nothing more that needs to be done for our salvation other than what Jesus has already done for us. And if you made it into works, well, I mean, that would take away from the death that Christ died for us. Yes. So, it, you know, our salvation is totally based on grace. But, you know, it's still important that we live righteously once we become believers because we will face Christ at the judgment seat of Christ. And scripture often speaks of being rewarded or possibly even suffering the loss of a reward, depending upon how we live. And scripture speaks of those rewards in terms of crowns that we wear. For example, the crown of life is given to those who persevere under trial. Boy, I love that one. You know, sometimes (laughs) it's hard to be a Christian today. Yes, it is. It could be hard, but if we persevere, I mean, that's a crown that we can look forward to. There's also the crown of glory that is given to those who faithfully minister God's word to the flock. There's called there's a crown called the crown incorruptible, given to those who win the race of temperance and self-control. The crown of righteousness is given to those who long for the second coming. Well, I'm holding out for that one because mm-hmm. I really love the idea of the second coming. I do too. But here's something to think about. These are not for our own glory. Yes. You see, the more crowns that you have in the afterlife, that means the more ability you have to glorify God Mm. in the afterlife. And in Revelation 4, it says that we're going to take our crowns and put them before the feet of the throne, before Christ. Mm -hmm. You see, ultimately, our goal is to honor Christ, not ourselves. So the purpose of these rewards is not to give your ego a boost. But rather, it has to do with your capacity to glorify God and Christ in the afterlife. Mm -hmm. And it really ought to be a motivation to live righteously in the present moment. Yes, yes. You know, we're not trying to be selfish in earning something. You know, it's not a works thing. But rather, Christ has saved us, and because he has saved us, we ought to be motivated to live in a way that pleases him, knowing that if we do that, we'll be able to glorify him even more through these various crowns in the afterlife. That's the way I look at it. I I agree. And, you know, it's interesting, too, when you think about the fact that when we stand face to face before our Savior, our minds will be like his at that time. We will we will we will be uh, we won't have sin uh, in our in our hearts and in our minds. So we will see more clearly what he has done. We will understand Uh, his beauty, his holiness, we will desire, I think, with a perfect heart and mind to worship him. And I think that's where the weeping and the gnashing of teeth would come for a believer who uh, does not have any crowns 
to lay at his feet, who does not have anything uh, left uh, after our works are judged, if they're all burnt up and we can't give him anything, uh, how yeah. how sad that would be. Well, that's true. And, and let me also say that, you know, sometimes I'll speak at these large conferences and there might be somebody that comes up to me and say, oh, you've written all these books and, you know, you speak all over the country. You must have so many crowns. And I always correct them. And I say, no, no. Listen, the person that's going to get the crown is, is going to be some unknown grandma in the backwoods of some state somewhere that nobody's ever heard of. But she lives in such a holy way and is such a prayer warrior and has had such a profound influence mm-hmm. on the people around her. I mean, those are the people that I look up to. Yes. Those are the people that I try to emulate in my own life. In particular, I think about my own grandma. Mm. Uh, Carmen, her name was Annabelle. Oh. Her name was Annabelle. And she was the most godly woman that I, I've ever met in my life. I mean, mm-hmm. I've known her for my, my whole life. Yes. But I think that one of the reasons why God has kind of looked down and smiled on me is because of Annabelle. <laughs> because of her God prayers? Annabelle. <laughs> yes, I'm sort yes. of just kind of getting some of the side of benefits of being related to Annabelle. Oh, I love it. Well, I could certainly say that about my grandmother as well. Just such a servant of the Lord and loved, loved people as Christ would. And and so I, I would think she's going to be right there with your grandma Annabelle, no doubt about it. Well, you know, as, as wonderful as that is going to be for us as believers, to be a believer, to have this wonderful hope, it can't be a selfish thing because there will be many who will not have that future. Uh, share with us, if you will, uh, about the great white throne judgment and, and the, the, the punishment that is awaiting those who do not choose our Savior. Well, God does not force anybody into the kingdom of God. He doesn't. He offers it to everyone, and he wants everyone to be saved, but there will be people who turn it down. And it's, it's like C.S. Lewis once put it. Um, there's two groups of people in the end. One group of people says to God, Thy will be done. I am a sinner, and Christ has died for me. I trust in Christ, and because of that, I am saved. There are other people to whom God says, Thy will be done. Mm. Salvation was offered to you. You have rejected it. You have you know, repudiated the very idea of Christ being your Savior. So thy will be done. You know, eternal separation from God in a place of quarantine. Yes. And so that's really the purpose of the great white throne judgment. There will be wicked people who have rejected Christ who will be judged on the basis of their works. And they are judged according to their works, not only just to justify eternal separation from God in a horrible place called the lake of fire, but also to determine the degree to which each person should be punished throughout eternity. I hate to even think about it, Carmen, but the truth is, is that there are varying degrees of punishment. Mm -hmm. For example, the Hitlers of human history will be punished worse than a non-Christian moralist, if I might put it that way. Yes. But here's the motivation. I want to be a participant in delivering as many people as possible from that destiny. Mm-hmm. That's one of my motivations. So that's a motivation for evangelism. And it's a motivation for us doing what we do on podcasts and radio broadcasts and yes. public speaking and everything else that we do. 
Yes, yes. You know, we hear sometimes uh, those who would say, how can a loving God allow someone to suffer for eternity? Uh, And I think you have addressed that, but speak to that question directly. Well, the most unloving thing that you could do is to force somebody to do something that they don't want to do. Yes. The offer of salvation is made, but people send themselves to the lake of fire. You know, it's not God's choice that they they be there, but rather God has made an offer of salvation and they have chosen against it. And I know a lot of people, uh, you know, look upon that and say, well, that's just not a loving thing to do. But, you know, the most loving person who ever came amongst us was Jesus Christ. Yes, yes. We might even say that Jesus was love incarnate. Mm-hmm. And Jesus, as love incarnate, told us more about the reality of hell than any other person in the Bible. Mm. Now, it's because of the horror of hell that Jesus stepped out of eternity and provided salvation for those who would believe. Yes, yes. And, uh, you know, you can't blame God if there are certain individuals who are going to choose against that. Yes. And so, uh, like I said, you know, I, I myself am motivated to share the good news of the gospel with as many people as possible because of this truth. It's not a truth that I like, but it is a biblical truth. Yes. And if you're going to believe what Scripture says, you have no alternative but to believe that while there is heaven for the believer, there is hell or the lake of fire for the unbeliever. And uh, I hate to say it also, but among those who end up there will be professed believers who were not true believers at all. Christ himself said, on judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, who prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and performed many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Yes. Now, in context, Carmen, he was talking about the Pharisees. Yes, yes. Those legalists who really lorded it over the people and imposed an unreasonable law on the people that broke their backs. So he was talking about them. But, you know, I, I think it's real important that we understand that because sometimes I hear people making a profession of faith when it's real clear that they're not really believers at all. That they're not believing in Jesus for, for salvation. That, right. Yes, yes. Oh, I agree. So, well, I do pray that this certainly has been a wake-up call, perhaps, for those who, uh, for some who are listening who are in that position. As you said, our, our goal is that all who are listening would be with us in eternity with Jesus Christ, not separated from him. So in finally, our, our, in your, our closing comment here, how do you, uh, how would you suggest that li- believers live now in preparation for the millennial kingdom and our eternal state? Well, I think the number one thing is to have an eternal perspective. Um, you know, C.S. Lewis once said that uh, some people claim that heavenly-minded Christians are no good at all in terms of getting earthly things done. And the opposite is actually the truth. The people mm-hmm. who get the most done on planet Earth are the Christians who have a heavenly perspective. Mm-hmm. And when you look at some of the great saints that have been used by God throughout uh, church history, including the great missionaries, you know, like Hudson Taylor and, and many of the others, they all had a heavenly perspective that motivated them. Yes, That's what motivated the Apostle Paul. In fact, he was even caught up to heaven, according to Second uh, Corinthians 12, and he couldn't wait to get back there. He said, I, de- I desire to depart and be with Christ. There mm. Philippians 1, 21 to 23. So that eternal perspective, I think, is, is what can 
keep things in perspective when everything goes wrong on this earth. And Carmen, when you get sick, when your body fails you, when you see horrible things happening in our world, that eternal perspective is the only thing that will see you through. Oh, boy, I know that from firsthand experience. Absolutely. My uh, focus on heaven, my focus on my Savior, uh changed everything for me during some of the most difficult times of my life. And I know it has for you as well. Amen. Well, thank you, Dr. Rhodes, for the tremendous insight that you've provided uh, on the end times. Our prayer is that hearts are stirred to trust in Jesus. And for those who know Jesus, to live now for Christ, to store up your treasures in heaven, not here on earth. Well, our guest today has been Dr. Ron Rhodes, and we have been discussing his newest book, Jesus and the End Times, available through your favorite online bookstores. I pray our discussion has motivated you to watch, to be faithful, and to look forward to the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me encourage you to download the Grace app to give you complete access to Saving Grace podcast, Grace Cafe, event calendar, Bible study guides, and so much more. You can get that link and also learn about Grace School of Theology and our Grace Center for Spiritual Development at gsot.edu. That's gsot.edu. So glad you've been with us. Remember, the love of Christ can never be earned and can never be lost.